Just to let you know that some of the conversations we have in this podcast can be a little fruity. So beware playing it on loudspeaker in front of your nan. Gabby, can you tell us how you feel today? You're a, you're a year on sober. How are you feeling? I mean, compared to this time last year, it's it's completely different. You know, I I don't wake up each morning checking my WhatsApp in a blind panic because I've you know told my Uber driver that I love them or done something hideous or shat in a coconut as one <laughs> <laughs> as once my Wow. Um, <laughs> I thought yeah. my drunken stories are bad, but right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Rogers. And I'm Libby Daniel. And from Lift Learn Love Productions, we present to you, Ladies and Benjamin, where we bring you personal trainer versus client real talk. With female guests, we will delve into the often embarrassing realm of bodily functions, fitness and lifestyle. Join us while we break down barriers, expose ourselves and tackle being imperfect in a seemingly insta-perfect world. Hello, uh, welcome back to Ladies and Benjamin. Hi Ben, are you there? Yes, I am indeed, Libby, how are you? I am great, thank you. How the devil are you? Yeah, I mean, it's Friday, so cannot complain. For the listener, we're still recording over Zoom um, because of the pandemic. So we're just gonna crack on. This week we have our guest and she is one of my absolute best friends in the whole world, Gabby Fernie. Hey Gabs. Hello. Hello. Oh, it's so great to have you on. I'm so happy. It's so great to be here. I feel I might explode from the social interaction. Amazing. Okay, so this week we're talking about drink and drug culture. And as I always say, we like to bring on a guest who can relate to the topic in some way. And I know Gabs has (laughs) loads of stories to tell, but before we delve deeper, um, Gabs, please, can you share with us your personal experience on this topic? Well, my personal experience, Libby, is that in 21 years, I have drunk more than most people would drink in a lifetime um, and taken many drugs. And it resulted in. <laughs> this is Sorry, not, I didn't mean um, to laugh. This is not um, like a fairy tale story. Um, it resulted in me going to rehab, and I am a year sober and two years clean of drugs. And I don't say that in a pious way, um, it's just a fact. So I think my first question off the bat is because like as millennials, we live in a world that revolves around alcohol. Um, and so I think it's a massive thing for you to have overcome this in this day and age. Can you tell us um, sort of like how it all started? What were the struggles that you faced and how this happened, you know, in your 20s? <laughs> Oh, this terrible disaster happened. Um, I get well. Basically, drinking was pretty much my career in my early twenties, and I say that because I started a blog um, which is called Love Is a Four Letter and I just came out of drama school, wasn't getting any auditions, wasn't getting any work. So I thought I'm going to start this blog talking about my drinking stories, my nights out, my one night stands, you know, the whole shebang. And it kind of took off um, and I posted, I think I was on like my fifth blog post and um, Catlin Moran, the journalist, um, 
read it and tweeted, everyone needs to read this filthy, immoral and incredibly funny blog and overnight had a literary agent and a publishing deal. And I was at a stage where I was just going out in Soho and getting shit faced and writing about it. And suddenly I had this book deal where I had to write 80,000 words. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to kill me. Like I'm gonna have to generate so much material for this book. But it became like my personality. I became known as this funny drinking, you know, Bridget Jonesy character. The book came out, it did really well. It got into the bestsellers on the Kindle charts and the reviews were like, oh, it's so refreshing to see a millennial who's, you know, not obsessed with avocados and fitness. And sorry guys, <laughs> I know that's probably the premise of this podcast. Um, no, not at all. No, no. Not at all. <laughs> And, we, um, we hate fitness. <laughs> <laughs> you won't catch me, today, I tell you. Um, yeah, so, you know, I had to live this character and I don't can't tell you when it turned into addiction, but there was a point where I realised I've gone too far. I couldn't get through the day without a drink. I was drinking three bottles of wine a night. If we're talking drugs, I would go on benders and I wouldn't be able to stop. I, they were gone for sometimes three, four nights. And it became clear that the thing that had originally sparked this kind of character that I could play had slowly started to take everything from me. It was over a course of several years, but um, it was in January last year that I went to rehab and have been sober since. Wow, that's pretty uh, pretty intense. And uh, one, <laughs> one, one thing I'm I actually really interested in is, obviously you noticed it. Did people around you notice it? Well... <laughs> I thought I was pretty <laughs> subtle, but when I, so I had a few stints of um, trying to get sober and relapsing and I thought I was being really subtle. I used to boil the kettle and pour red wine into a mug. And then I would blow on the mug and go like, mmm, a lovely refreshing chamomile <laughs> tea. And like, <laughs> I've since spoken to my cat. They were like, Gabby, it was so obvious. You were like cross-eyed. Um, and we'd like, I'd be like, I'm just popping downstairs. And would like have bottles lined up in my wardrobe where I would refill this endless cup of tea that I was forever drinking. Um, in terms of the drugs, I don't think people knew. I would go to a party where people were doing it recreationally. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's normal to say people can take drugs recreationally, but I think some people can. Mm. For me, I couldn't. It would get to that point, eight in the morning, you know, the party would be over, people would be flagging, they'd all go home and I would be filled with this dread and this panic. And I'd be like, oh my God, I can't come down. I cannot return to normal life. And so I would pick up again on my own and it would get into a vicious cycle where I, as soon as the drug started to run out, I would order more and then I'd be, I, the party would have been a Saturday and it would be about Tuesday morning. And I'd be like, I remember looking at myself in the mirror once and I had like bright red skin. I had red teeth because for some reason I thought drugs went really well with Merlot. <laughs> um, <laughs> red eyes, because I'd been in my <laughs> daily contact lenses for four days. I looked, I was, I was red all over. I looked like something from like a Marvel comic. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, this is hell. I am in hell. Like I can't get any more drugs. I've got mm. to come down. My room is an absolute sea of overflowing ashtrays, smashed glass. Cause I used to just fling those bottles when I was done with them. Um, 
it was like a horror scene and no I don't think people knew about that I I told close friends I'd be like look I've done this again and there were a couple of times where friends took me to hospital and got me checked out and I was very 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 lucky in that I always nothing ever bad happened to me and I don't know how um but in terms of how bad it was I don't think anyone really knew um it's been something that I've kind of opened up about since since I've gotten clean and gotten sober and I can look back and be like Jesus Christ that was bad but when you're in it it's like addiction loves isolation it loves secrecy it doesn't want people to know it feels like you're the only person in the world doing this and you can't possibly tell anyone which is why I'm so blasé about um talking about it now because I think you know there is a stigma Mm. and if we can talk about it and it can happen to a normal well relatively normal person like myself then it can happen to anyone and yeah which is why coming on podcasts like this is brilliant you know sharing about it so now you're a year on sober how do you find social situations nowadays not drinking I avoid them like the plague (laughs) I'm really well it's very difficult you know when I started this journey I hate that word um (laughs) you know everyone was like it's so great being sober like you know sometimes I just go out to a club until 5am and have apple juice and I'm like are you mad like I actually cannot think of anything worse than going to a club sober and, and like things like dinner parties rest you know to me it's still really hard like everything in me you know I've con- gone in quite deep with the addiction stuff but there were some extremely fun times when I was drinking and you know before it became a problem and everything in me is still that girl is still that party girl you know the last one standing and just it's almost like being given a new skin and being like this is you now you know you don't stay up past 10 you in, you knit for pleasure and <laughs> yeah. you know you it's it's so hard and also it makes other people uncomfortable because if i go to sort of out for dinner with people and they obviously want to have a glass of wine and i don't want to stop them having a glass of wine but they're almost like oh sorry Gabby oh don't show her the wine and you know it just to me it's so awkward I think it's going to take me a really long time to get to a place where I'm comfortable with it and that's not something people normally say at a year sober they're normally like oh it's wonderful I can you know see the color of the sky and I'm like no it sucks sorry listeners yeah When you do go out for those social <laughs> situations, Gabby, what makes it easier for you? Like, in, how would you want your friends or people you're going out with to kind of act? Like you say, would you rather they just completely ignore that you you are sober? Is that better for you? It's it's really tough. And to be honest, it's asking too much to be like, you know, I'm not happy if you're not drinking and I'm not happy if you are drinking. You know, I, mm. I feel guilty about it. I think god it's so difficult I think it's best if people know that you're sober before going to an event but if they can I think if people are getting shit-faced you know if the the Jaeger bombs are coming in then that's my cue to leave but I think if people are just having a few glasses of wine and if if there's an activity if we're like having dinner or we're I don't know what do people do go bowling I don't know what sober people do (laughs) (laughs) go axe throwing I still like (laughs) I'm still like, what do people do without the drink? Um, 
yeah I think as long as there's an activity it's not that much of a problem mm. whereas I wouldn't just go to the pub and you know have a diet coke that to me would be like well this is pointless because it's just just centered around the drinking I totally get this I feel like I mean I can identify this in the sensor if for example if I was like on antibiotics or something and I couldn't drink I would rather just not go to the party because the temptation would be too much for me like I feel like there is like a mild addiction there because I don't want to be in a social situation without alcohol like I'd get anxiety to have to converse with people if I was sober like it's Mm. it is bad Ben you get quite a bit of stick from your clients and friends as well for not drinking enough right like people think you should do because you're in your 20s when you're in that social situation with friends, you get peer pressured uh, and you know, they're like, oh, stop being boring. Stop. Why you just have one drink? It's only one drink. Um, and it is tough. I think as someone who doesn't drink perhaps quite as much as others, if they're like, your good friends and you're going with people and you're in a situation with people who are yeah, good friends, you, they will at the time, they might make a big deal about it, but realistically everyone like will just forget about it five minutes later. That is true, but I was remembering one of the first one, one of the first occasions I got sober. And Libby, do you remember we went to see that drag show with Cat? Um, yeah, and Cat, who I think's been on this podcast. And I went up to the bar, and it was somebody that we'd known from the Edinburgh Fringe, and it was like one of my first times ever going up to a bar and ordering a non-alcoholic drink. And I was like. Right, prepare yourself. I was like, hello. <laughs> like, obviously, this man knows me as a massive pisshead. I was like, hello. I would like to smell the cordial, please. And he was like, oh, what? <laughs> and, like, oh, and everyone had been like, it's so easy ordering at the bar and not alcoholic drink. He was like, why are you having that? I was like, um. <laughs> oh. It was like one of the worst, like, yeah, it was the worst it could have possibly gone. <laughs> Those are the things that you have to like deal with now. I actually remember that evening so well because I I have so much guilt from that because I remember us three going to see that show. And it was one of the, as you said, the first times we went out when you were sober for the first time. And I was really unsure of how to behave or like, am I, should I get a drink? Would that yeah. be upsetting for you? Whatever. And I remember getting a gin and then being like, what have I done? I really Aww. shouldn't have done that. And I've like now sort of learned, you know, how to cope with it but yeah I mean it's been hard it's been hard watching you go through this struggle for sure it's so mad how something as simple as not drinking can affect so many people like my not drinking has affected so many of my friends like they're having to learn it's like I don't know like adopting a wild animal and learning like how to behave around it like it's suddenly like everyone's like learning like what they what they can do what they can't do and it's really it's so weird that such a simple thing as not having a drink can be such a social dilemma for everyone involved it's mad is there people who you used to hang out with um perhaps close friends or like good friends um when you were drinking and who have now since you stopped drinking have kind of you drifted away from and perhaps thought maybe it was this the kind of the alcohol and, and all that kind of scene that made you uh, be friends with them I would say that I'm very lucky in that my close circle of friends have remained incredible and Libs is in of course in that circle and it's they've been there they've pretty much peeled me off the ground and they've got me where I am but you're right there's a wider circle and I would say more 
not so much with the alcohol but with drugs like yeah. drugs are very much a thing you do them with other people well mm. unless you're me um you do them as like and <laughs> you have like your druggy crew and you know you'll yeah. be like oh who's got the gear tonight like so has got the gear is so coming tonight you know it, and once you step out of that druggy crew you lose those friends mm. because they they you not taking the drugs highlights the fact that they are and i think there's a thing with drugs that's very different to alcohol in that it, it you know they're illegal and it there's it's like the stakes are higher with drugs i think always so we've touched on friends a bit and social pressures so i'd like to now talk about dating and relationships <laughs> so how have you found dating as a sober woman well, I mean, it's like chalk and cheese. I mean, to put it in perspective, when I was, <laughs> if anyone's read my book, they'll be aware of this. I went on the programme dinner date um, twice. I went on it <laughs> once and um, passed out while cooking um, because I'd been on it the night before. So that was cancelled. And the second time I was the one going on all the dates and I got so paralytically drunk um before every date and during the date that on the at the first date's house I was not only awarded one star which I think is the lowest score they have ever given in dinner date I was actually asked to leave his house we got into an argument so there was that side of my dating and then there was suddenly dating sober and the first ever date I went on as a sober person he became my boyfriend and we dated for we dated five months until I went to rehab. <laughs> oh, Gabby. I really hope he's not listening to this. Um, so it's not funny. I do kind of want to interject as well. Like for the listener, that dating episode is absolutely brilliant. Like oh, it's they repeat it such all a the time. It's like they actually were before it was aired, they did like the um the trailer and they were like and what not to do on a date and then there was me and I was like this is just harsh <laughs> it rubs salt in the wound um so yeah there was going well I mean going on a date as a same person was so strange because I was actually behaving as a human being like before I'd go on dates I'd pre-drink before the dates mm. I'd be like you know can't go to a date sober that's that's creepy um and it was I thought it would be so awkward and it was actually so much easier than I thought it would be because <laughs> you know I wasn't being I wasn't like after a few drinks the problem with my when I used to go on dates drinking I would get my other dates so drunk that I would sometimes have to put them in a taxi home like my tolerance was so high um, or we would end up just going back and having blackout drunk sex and you know it would never end well it would never end in a relationship mm. and the first day I went on sober became my first boyfriend in many many years and we went for breakfast so I'd set up a hinge profile and they were like I was like hmm this is gonna be tough and it was like what would your ideal first date be and I was like well <laughs> So I put breakfast waffles and this was quite interesting because you got the guys that were like, 
surely that's the second part of the date way oh, like God. and then yeah oh so you got god <laughs> <laughs> and then you got a like oh breakfast waffles that sounds lovely and i was like oh these are the nice boys that i should be dating for years and it was, yeah, our first date that we went on, my first sober date, we went for breakfast waffles. And that's not a euphemism, as it sounds quite odd. Um, <laughs> and then we went for a walk around the park. And yeah, it's it's scary, but it's so much easier than you think it'll be. And it's actually so much nicer because you can remember it. And you're not like, you don't snog people you don't fancy. Like if you're sober, you only, things only move to another level if you really like them you know and that that can only be a good thing whereas when I was drunk I mean bloody hell I remember going on a date and going home with someone else like. oh god literally I've not heard anyone use the word snogger in so long not? Yes. Oh, I love it. um I can I can totally understand why maybe the first person that you dated sober became your boyfriend because I feel like it was so new and because it went well that sort of like safety and security made you feel better and also you know in like it's as I said that recording of you on dinner date was so funny but also in hindsight when you look back on it um with the alcoholism in mind it's actually quite you know poignant I think the problem I had with my first sober relationship was I massively played down my drinking problem I was like no it's fine like um yeah I you know I sometimes go out with the girls and they're all drinking and I'm not like I lied because I didn't want on a first date to be like hello my name's Gabrielle and I'm an alcoholic you know I just wanted it I wanted it to play it down to not put this guy off who I really liked and so subsequently the five six months that we dated things I went to it was his birthday and we went to a champagne bar and obviously I couldn't drink but that was like a cedar planted or mm. we'd play have a game night with his flatmates they'd all be drinking beers I wasn't another seed was planted and eventually I relapsed about five months into our relationship and I in no way blame this guy he was the sweetest loveliest guy it was my fault for not being clear at the start look I'm early in sobriety I cannot be around this stuff and I think that's a, that's why they recommend when you get sober not to date for the first year um because you're not strong enough to be in those situations and dating always comes with drinking even if you date someone else who doesn't drink you're going to meet their family friends there are going to be drinks and it is difficult so do you think dating was actually the catalyst that made you relapse and then subsequently go to rehab I really don't know it's so bizarre because I made it through all of Christmas and then I <laughs> just like relapsed what everyone was doing dry January um <laughs> classic um yeah I don't I, I don't know I think it must have been a build-up of things they say you you don't relapse on the day you relapse you relapse about five days before your mind starts planning it mm. even subconsciously five days before you start thinking well I could drink because of this I'm gonna drink because of this and I gotta say it at the time I was taking diazepam um which I now know as a having gone to rehab that diazepam and alcoholism do not go hand in hand because diazepam gives you this that's valium for anyone that doesn't know um it gives you the same kind of feeling like a glass of wine would give you and I was being prescribed it at the time and I was taking more and more of it thinking oh this feels a bit like being drunk and 
I, that definitely led to the relapse. And when I was in rehab, they had to take me off diazepam very slowly. It's a very, very dangerous drug to actually come off, even though it's a prescribed one by your doctor. So I'd like to segue into rehab now. Um, if you don't mind sharing some stories, Gabby, uh, we'd love to hear, yeah, any rehab stories that you have. We're all really interested. Well, rehab, I was there for six weeks and <laughs> I've got to say I had the time in my life. I know that's <laughs> probably not what you're supposed to say, having come out of rehab. But for me, it was like being on Love Island or Big Brother with a load of addicts. <laughs> um take away drink and drugs from a load of addicts for six weeks and you're going to get some drama like I swear to god it was it I didn't go to the priory I don't know whether it's appropriate for me to name the place I went but it was very much more kind of rough and ready than that we were in dormitories Mm. um same sex dormitories obviously and we had jobs we woke up at 6 30 each day to like a dinner bell um and then we'd all have chores during the day. So I was on the big pot wash, um, which was like being in this industrial sized kitchen and having to like wash up lunch and dinner. We all had to chip in, we all had roles. And they said these, and they called them our therapeutic duties. We were like, do you want to fuck off? These are not therapeutic <laughs> at all. Like, up to my arms in like mashed potato. <laughs> But um, it was just so much fun because we weren't allowed our phones so that your phones are taken off you on arrival. You're drug tested on arrival. You're breathalyzed on arrival. A lot of people come in high and drunk um, because they're like drinking on the way down. They're like, you know, this is my last chance. Um, and then you're with this group of people and they become like your family for six weeks. Your phone is taken off you. You have to make your own entertainment, except on a Friday night. <laughs> we had this group would come in called mustard seed and we would go to the chapel we had a chapel and you would be given a tambourine or um some form of drum or um (laughs) maracas and we would sing like there'd be an old woman with a guitar and it gets better an old woman with a guitar like on a keyboard and we had this song book and they had changed all the names of songs. So like the song Jolene, Jolene became Codeine, Codeine. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no I can't. And we were like, it was so hysterical with laughter. Like this, this hour of like singing was like the most fun we'd have all week. And you take away the drink and the drugs and suddenly you're like, I'm having the time of my life. Like I might as well have had six bottles of wine. Oh my God, please like, tell me. The codeine was like <laughs> ironic, no? Was it a joke? Or were they genuinely it, no, like... It was like, oh, we have songs like, those drugs were made for taken, but that's just <laughs> no. Like, I wish oh my I, God. I got the song back downstairs. Like some of them were hysterical. Honestly, like just like memories like that, I will keep from rehab. And you make friends in there that... It, you're in such a tiny environment you're living and breathing each other's lives for six weeks you tell them you have like hours of group therapy a day and the occasional like art class or what did I do tai chi um which I could just never take seriously I always got the giggles um but also you're in rehab and you I mean I 
oh, I don't know whether I should speak about this. I, I had broken up with my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> God, he doesn't listen to this podcast. I fell in love with two men in rehab because, and then I got told I was a love addict um, because apparently it's very, very common in rehab when you take the drink away, you take the drugs away, the people start looking for that endorphin hit mm. and people look at each other and they're suddenly like, oh my God, you're like, I, yeah, I had, I, nothing happened, but I consider myself in love with two of the men there. Um, now I don't speak to them at all, but you're, and like I made friends in there that at the time we were like sobbing when it, when one person left, when they like graduated, we'd all sing and clap and they'd like do this massive walk out with their suitcase. And we'd be like, honestly, wow. like sobbing on our hands and knees, like you're my best friend I've ever met. Like I'm going to be with you. And you, you genuinely think it because you're in this tiny environment and you come out and you life goes back to normal and you lose contact with these people. And it's so sad. And you hear some people that have gone back to drinking, some people who are back, you know, on heroin. And it's it's so sad because you've lived with these people, you've heard their stories and they say the success for rehab is, I mean, they say that it's like 97% when you leave, but that's because, you know, it's very hard to actually take drink or drugs in the rehab, but the survival rate or the recovery rate is something tiny like don't quote me on this, but it's something like 3% of people stay clean and sober because addiction wow. is so strong. It's, yeah. 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 So it was, it was an amazing experience. I, I honestly had so much fun and I, I don't think I've had as much fun since, since I left rehab, like, but it, yeah, yeah it's tinged with sadness. It is, it, it, it just makes you think how scary addiction is. So you said, um, obviously the recovery rate is really, really low. Why do mm. you, how, why do you think you've been successful uh, of being like recovering and, and being sober for so long? I honestly think it's because of the lockdown. I came out of rehab and I was living in London for 10 years and I decided to move back home with my parents. I thought it was the safer option. And pretty much as soon as I came out of rehab, we didn't know about coronavirus in rehab because we were like cut off, literally cut off from the outside world. Um, we weren't allowed the TV. We weren't allowed anything. We used to like play jigsaw puzzles and it was like the height of excitement, like buckaroo and things. Um, Diddly wings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, we didn't have those. Not quite that extreme. wings. <laughs> Wouldn't have torn us addicts away. Um, <laughs> it, obviously, the lockdown is horrific and the coronavirus has been horrific. But for me, having to move back home with my parents, being jobless, um not being able to go out suddenly everybody was in that position or loads of my friends moved back home loads of my friends sadly lost their jobs and it made it easier for me personally because it wasn't that FOMO I wasn't like oh my god everyone's going out and having a great time I'm stuck at home um so I think that was a huge part that carried me through to a year's sobriety yeah. And I think, like, I'll be honest, when it, hopefully, fingers crossed, things will go back to normalcy. And I think that will be the real test mm. is when, the, you know, people start going to pubs and parks and things go back to normal. I think, yeah, I would never say that I'm out of the woods. I no. think for my whole life, I will have to watch it, um, which is why I can never promise that I'll never drink again. I think it's just a stupid promise to make. But as they say, one day at a time, that's all you can do. Mm. So you've said you've moved back home with your parents now. Mm. Do your parents drink? And, you know, if they do, is this how does this influence you? Well, <laughs> they can possibly hear me, but um, sorry. Oh. 
Um, <laughs> um, my mum, so sweetly, as soon as I came out of rehab, she stopped drinking as well. So that has been a huge support. My dad is a drinker and there we... <sighs> we kind of found ways of it not being a problem like originally when I was at rehab they said like there won't be any alcohol in the house you know dad's gonna go to the pub when he wants to drink and but then lockdown happened and the pub shut and you know I don't want to ever be that person who says you can't drink around me it's not fair um you know especially as my parents spent an extortionate amount for me to go to rehab like rehab is not cheap um so we've just kind of made it work. Uh, like I, I can be around drinking now and it doesn't really bother me. I think if I was with my friends and they were drinking and it was a party or, you know, I, then I would be like, oh, I'm jealous. But, you know, if it's my dad having a gin watching Country File, I'm not really like, oh, I'm missing out on a party. Like, it's not. Yeah. Sounds like my Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Gabby, you mentioned uh, briefly about your kind of drugs um, side of things uh, and using drugs uh, previously. Would you say, like, could you delve into a bit more about kind of what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of what I took, it was mainly coke, cocaine and mm. MCAT, which is like um, methadrone. It's like, um, it used to be sold as like plant food, but... Um, yeah, they they were the and very occasionally MDMA. I mean, I thank God I never even tried anything like crack heroin mm. because I've learned from people at rehab it's a natural progression. Like you yeah. start on coke, you try crack, and you'll you'll be addicted to that. And then you try heroin, you're addicted to that. Like so, it's and they were all party drugs. You know, yeah. they started out with me. I'd be like oh my god I've taken a line of coke and suddenly I'm the most hilarious person in this room and my god I'm ravishing you know like (laughs) (laughs) ravishing (laughs) and you know if you're with a group of people and you've all taken coke you think you're having the most amazing conversation but if you step back and look at it you've got a group of people rubbing conversation into each other's faces (laughs) like nobody is having a conversation they are talking at each other Mm. but when you're on drugs you suddenly think my god this is like the elixir of life and it's so hard then because once you've got that drinking isn't enough you know if you go out with a group of people who don't take drugs and you're just drinking you're like oh god this is so tedious like oh white wine um you know I've had the drink now I want that I want that buzz and the thing is with drugs with when you take them you can drink for much much longer and you you don't get drunk um so I think that's where people take them recreationally my problem was that I couldn't stop I could not handle the come down I could not it was terrible for my mental health um I used to just keep going and going and going until I reached breaking point but you know there are I don't I know I would never condone drugs having been through what I've been through but Mm. there are people that can take them and leave them you know and it's just a once a big party thing and I don't know what my opinion on that is anymore to be honest because I think if I was one of those people then maybe I would be still be doing it I don't know obviously you've given up alcohol and drugs obviously but mm. which one do you think firstly was perhaps the hardest to kind of stop and which one do you think's had the most kind of profound impact on like, like making you feel better 
drugs were easy they were so easy um I got a group of people out of my life Mm. and the drugs went with them I look back at those days and shiver um the problem was then that the drinking took the drugs place I was suddenly like hmm you know, like I'm no longer having to get into a seedy car in the, in the middle of the street. I can pop to Sainsbury's. It's so civilized, you know, like a loaf of bread and a bottle of Merlot. And, you know, it, it suddenly I was drinking. There, there are like barriers that you never cross. Like you don't drink on your own. You don't drink on a Monday. You don't mm. drink in the morning. And slowly you start to break those barriers. And you're like, oh shit, it's eight in the morning and I've had a glass of wine. I've never done that before. Mm. And once those, those, ties are broken you suddenly find yourself on a very rapid way down and then you're suddenly at the bottom and you're like how the hell did I get here so for me alcohol and as we touched on before like drugs are illegal that not you're not expected to take Mm. drugs nobody's like what you don't take cocaine but alcohol it's the one drug you have to explain why you don't take it you know you're you almost feel like an outcast for not taking it which is so interesting it's, it's interesting you say that though, because I think I definitely feel, I don't know, like, especially being in London, uh, that I feel it's now getting that way that if you say you don't do cocaine, like out when you're on a night out, like recreationally, you actually get a reaction like if you weren't drinking. I agree with that, actually. I really think it's become incredibly normalized. Yes. It's just, it's just a part of going out, I find. Um, but yeah, I think you're totally right, Gabby, about like sort of stepping back and watching it people mm. i mean they're not having fun right is that they're yeah. talking about really deep things yeah. um it's, it's, it's always like politics or bloody isis or something just like like you guys are supposed to be having fun and people are just yes. like drumming in up. this absolute heavy shit into each other yeah or you end up in but yeah you see like it everywhere flat like in the in the bedroom like in the corner like having this deep conversation and you're literally like oh my god like that nobody's having fun there you're just so high (laughs) so just before we wrap up this section Gabby can you tell us how you feel today you're you're a year on sober how are you feeling I mean compared to this time last year it's it's completely different you know I I don't wake up each morning checking my whatsapp in a blind panic because i've you know told my uber driver that i love them or done something hideous or shat in a coconut as one <laughs> <laughs> as once my oh. in Magaluf. Wow. Um, <laughs> i thought yeah. my drunken stories are bad but Christ. <laughs> you know that it's it's the ease you know it's like i've swapped nights i've swapped messy nights for peaceful mornings you know I could be a piece of myself in the morning I can wake up and know exactly what I did the night before and admittedly it might be a little boring right now we're in a lockdown but you know things are opening up things are opportunities are coming that I would have been too drunk to even notice before and life is getting better it definitely is Amazing. Thank you so much, Gabby, for your brutal honesty and your amazing stories, you know, shitting in coconuts, the rest of it. (laughs) You know, we're both super proud of what you've achieved as well. You should feel really proud of yourself. Oh, thank you so much.
Yes. Uh, thank you, Gabby, for that. That's really, honestly, yeah, really, really insightful um, really, and interesting to hear your story. Uh, we'll be back in a moment, guys, with uh, questions from the listener. Welcome back, guys. We are going to now go on to questions from the listener. Someone has asked, what's your best hangover cure? So ask Libby first. If I had to choose, like if I could be anywhere in the world, diving into the sea just sorts you out like immediately. So as long as you live by the sea, you're okay. <laughs> ben, what about yours? Uh, I find it's going to sound really like just like fitness, like health, but going out, actually getting outside does help. Um, and in terms of food though, I, oh, you've got to have a freaking fry up. I mean, having a big greasy fry up is just the way forward if you're all hungover. Oh no. See, that screws me over. If I have what? a fry up when oh, I'm hungover, uh, yeah. it literally, yeah, it makes me want to die. I'm just going to chip in and say Dioralite. If you take a, a few sachets of Dioralite, it's going to get those it's like if you have vomiting or diarrhea it's gonna yeah. it's gonna make you feel better <laughs> gabby comes in Lovely. with the clever, the clever response whereas the rest of us are just like yeah fry up yeah, well, out. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was actually really useful information Thanks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay on to the next question so this is from patrice and it says how do you recommend keeping a healthy eye on drinking when in lockdown any tips or tricks vino is just too tempting and delicious the easiest thing i find is that the old saying out of sight out of mind um try not to have it in the house or have it in reach or in sight yeah i would agree not having it in the house um <laughs> because if it's there it will be drank well in my case when i was drinking um so that that's probably the best advice i mean you can get like drink trackers on your phone there's a really good app called drink aware where you put in um, each drink you have and it adds up the units. But not only that, it adds up the calories in the equivalent uh-huh. of burgers and also the minutes it would take you to run it off. <laughs> and um, the Oh God, money. that would make me depressed. Yeah, so when you start putting that, I remember when I was trying to cut down, when I started doing that, I was like, you've eaten 65 burgers today. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it does. That's a good one. <laughs> drink aware, I think it's called. Okay, so the next question is my personal favorite. Um, what is the stupidest thing you've done when drunk? We'll go to you, Gabby. I know you've already told us you shat in a coconut, so I don't know how you're going to top that. <laughs> but can you? Can you top this? Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. I mean, it depends, you know, like how low you think shitting in a coconut is. For me, mediocre. <laughs> yeah. um, I was once in Amsterdam, and <laughs> that sentence never ends well. Um, <laughs> and was very drunk, had taken some magic mushrooms, and I became convinced that I was a horse. Um, not just a horse, Shetland <laughs> pony. And- Shetland pony? Uh, yeah, the bell rang at the bar for the last orders, and I apparently went, that's my call for the Gymkhana, and whinnied and trotted up to the bar, and then asked for some hoof oil. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I spent about... What, You're such a, like, well-groomed pony. I was a sassy little ch- ch- pony. Like, it was it was bizarre. Ben, what about you? Most stupidest thing? Probably the most stupidest, things, uh, stupidest thing I've done. Uh, I went to Croatia. I've been, went, I was on, a, like, a lad's holiday. I went to Havar, which is, like, a little island. Um, and I got so drunk that... I, firstly, I lost all my, like, pretty much all my clothes and I just had my shorts on. I lost my phone, my wallet. <laughs> 
Uh, and then I, for some reason, still don't know why, ended up getting a boat from the island I was staying on to another island in the middle of the night uh, without any of my mates. Uh, I ended up stuck on this island on my own with no one around me um, and had to sleep on a bench for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, yeah, completely on this island, no one around. And in the end, uh, luckily, uh, a boat taxi came and I managed to get back to the island I was staying on. But to this day, I honestly thought I was going to have to sleep on that bench all night. I mean, that could have yeah ended pretty badly, but luckily um, it ended up with me oh, yeah, no. finding my way back to the, to the island I was staying on. But yeah, I, I make stupid decisions like that. And yourself, Libby? What about you? Come on. It was after my like Christmas staff party and I got home at 5am and I was so blind drunk that I couldn't actually coordinate my hand and the, and the key and the lock. Like I couldn't get the lock in the door and I was alone and I had to call my mum who drove half an hour at 4am to just put the key in the door for me and let me in. And like safe to say she was not best pleased <laughs> is literally what my, my lowest moment <laughs> <laughs> I love how you could coordinate yourself to ring your mum, but you could yeah. coordinate the key. That is just a step too far. But we live and we learn, guys. We live yeah. and learn. Okay, amazing. Those were some absolutely hilarious stories. But I, I mean, I think mine and Ben's stories pale in comparison to yours, Gabby. <laughs> so now we're going to go on to game time. Okay, welcome to game time. Uh, so this week we're playing Eggs Ben's a Dick. <laughs> Brilliant. Sorry, just just crap myself up. Um, how to play? Oh so, God. Gabby, you have one minute to name ten muscles we use when we work out while you hold an uncooked egg over your head. If you what? do not successfully name ten. <laughs> Like, okay, I'm sorry, but usually like our forfeits revolve around drinking. So I had to be a little bit more creative this week. Okay. So if you do not successfully name 10 muscles in one minute, you have to forfeit by smashing the egg on your head. If you win, Ben and I will smash the eggs on our heads. Will you crack under the pressure? <laughs> oh, nice one. Come on. <laughs> These get worse, worse every week, Libby. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, okay, no, very good. I've got a towel which I'm just yeah. gonna put over myself, like um, feel like I'm going to some terrible hair appointment. I feel like you girls have a bit more <laughs> hair to like cushion it rather than me, but we've got more hair to wash it out. Yeah, true. Yeah, this is far worse for us. Right. <laughs> so Ben, can you time a minute and yes. I'll count down? I can indeed. Okay, are we ready? Oh my God, no. Gabs, are you ready? I don't know any muscles, so no, I'm not ready, but yes, let's go. <laughs> You've only got to do 10. All right, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Glutes, biceps, triceps, abdominals. Um, ah! um Knuckles. No, they're not a muscle. Uh, <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Cheek muscles, the, um, the neck. Cheek. I can't. That's not what. I'm like, what? Oh yeah, that classic. Well, allow you to cheek. do. <laughs> Wait, you've got five. You've got five gaps. Come on, you can do it. Okay. Um. Um. Between legs. Hamstrings. Hamstrings. Yes. 
Lower uh, legs, lower legs. Lower legs, a feet, no. Um, <laughs> back, back your, your light, bottom half of your leg, a car. Achilles heel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you really are bad at this. What about like tops of your arms? Um, I've done those, haven't I? Not Elbows, triceps, <laughs> biceps, shoulders. Yes, muscles, shoulder muscles. Shoulders, shoulders, yeah. Shoulder um, muscles. You got. Yeah, you're done. You're done. <laughs> I lost track of time. Okay, Gabby's gonna smash the egg on her head, and we're gonna try film this. So look out for it on our social media channels. Here we go. Oh, can you count me down, please? All right. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That was a good sound. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my God, it's gone right up. The yolk is in my crotch. Like, and the ah. shell is <gasps> Oh my God, guys, literally. Oh, brilliant. I think this could be quite I revolutionary. I think maybe like people will start doing like eggs, like as a good shampoo, conditioner, possibly. I don't know. Like, it's all oh my God. Oh I love you for this so yeah. much. You are an absolute trooper. So good. Oh Excellent. Literally, the yolk just went. <laughs> I've never done that before. I mean, I thought the ice bucket challenge was bad. Strong effort. <laughs> that is a very strong effort. I'm not gonna lie. Why don't I know any uh, muscles? You were like cheek, cheek muscle. The no. Achilles heel. No. <laughs> yeah, that's. The Achilles heel is my my personal favorite. That was so funny. Me too. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, thank you Gabby. That was absolutely hilarious. That was such an amazing episode. We've come to the end of Ladies and Benjamin. So thank you Gab so much for coming on. You've been an absolutely amazing guest. Thank you so much for having me guys. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you Gabby. Thank you so much. Honestly, it was uh, brilliant. So you can catch us on all our social media channels as normal. Send us any questions you have. And it is goodbye from me. And it is goodbye from me. Oh, and it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Gabs. Bye. Bye, Bye Gabby. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>